All right, welcome to episode three of the Purple and Bold podcast, our podcast here at the Daily News Record dedicated to discussing James Madison athletics. Joining me today are Jamie beat writers Shane Metlin and Noah Fleischman. Um, just to start, it's been a busy day already for you guys, National Signing Day and a joint press conference at the Atlantic Union Bank Center um, Arena. Uh, can you guys uh, just kind of give me the breakdown to start? Um, obviously, some big news coming out of the presser today with um, James Madison announcing that it will go ahead and join the Sun Belt in the upcoming year. Um, for the 2022-2023 school year, um, you know, what's the reaction there? I, I know this was something that we kind of expected. Yeah, you said it, it was expected as something since Jamie went up to the General Assembly and kind of had to get the approval to make the, the move to the FBS in football. But, I mean, it, the mood seemed great. Um, even Chris Ignetti was there laughing up on the during the press conference, so great mood, and it seems like everyone's really excited to kind of finally make the move away from the CAA into the Sun Belt and for pretty much every sport. And I know Shane can, can comment on kind of the move from the CAA, but let's just say that Jeff Bourne's really excited to, to leave the CAA. Yeah, it's um, actually, you know, we're recording this shortly after the, the press conference and I'm working on my column on the whole thing, which kind of just delves into how strikingly different this whole relationship is like, Jeff sits up there and he smiles and he laughs and like just looks generally happy to be around the people he's around now when Keith Gill is in town. Um, it's 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 just kind of crazy how how different the relationship is. They're getting help from their conference office to make this transition. They're getting help from other schools within the conference. And I don't think you know fair or not that was not the perception they had of what their relationship with the CA was. They felt like CA was kind of going against them most of the time and not helping them reach their potential. And I think they're feeling much better about that, even though there's going to be a lot more competition in a lot of sports for them. Um, they're feeling better about, you know, just the way the, the league as a whole works and operates uh, with these 14 schools. I was going to say, do you feel like it's maybe there's been so much behind the scenes, so many, you know, moving parts behind the scenes that we've kind of been waiting on. And, uh, you know, we've kind of known what was going to happen and there's been whispers about it. And there's been, you know, kind of, it's been just kind of you know this thing that everybody known is going to happen, and we've just been waiting for it. Um, there's still some moving parts, I know, from other conferences and things like that. But is it kind of just feel like okay, everybody can kind of take a deep breath now because at least we we know it's official and we've been able to kind of make this announcement and move on. Yeah, I mean, we know now that Jamie's going to play an FBS schedule. They're going to play six home games, which will be you know pretty good for a um, eleven game schedule making that transition. Very few teams ever start out with an FBS opponent at home like they're going to with Middle Tennessee State. They're going to play. Um, they, I think it was Jeff at one point said he was worried for a while they were only going to have four home games, and now they're able to find and get um, get get the six, which will include four Sun Belt games. Um, so it's going to be the kind of schedule that people have been looking forward to with wanting to make the FBS move for all these years is that they're going to have home games against teams like Middle Tennessee State. They're going to have a home game against, I think it's you know almost certainly a done deal, they're going to have a home game against Old Dominion next year, um, which will be you know, a really exciting atmosphere. Um, that's what people have been looking for this whole time is to like make September and October just more interesting and more fun and uh, make those home weekends as an event rather than you know boring games against Rhode Island or whoever's visiting from the CAA 
Yeah, no, Bourne talked about how the schedule really was the hardest part in finding that fifth game. He was really happy. The Sun Belt offered four home games and four away games, kind of making that able to make the move to the FBS. He said most of the time you, you have to take two years and play half and half of FCS and FBS games, but he said the Sun Belt was down to give them four games at home, so they just had to find the fifth one, and he said he talked to four national schools, is what he called it, and none of them wanted to play JMU. None of them wanted even JMU to come visit them. So he said it was the hardest part. And national, I assume, is probably Power 5 school that you, if you said the name, you'd probably know who it is. But he didn't say who it was. He just said that it was really hard to find. And this game with Middle Tennessee State really kind of came about when they were getting on the plane to go to North Dakota for the FCS semifinals. So the last couple of months, that's all he's been working on finally this week. Kind of the ink was on the paper, and, and they were able to, to announce it. So now they're full go for the FBS. What do you expect that uh, that atmosphere to be like for that first game? I mean, you know, Bridgeforth has had some pretty, um, you know, awesome environments over the years and, and some pretty rowdy uh, crowds. But, I mean, the first game in the Sun Belt, uh, I know not against the Sun Belt opponent, but, you know, first FBS game in, at home, uh, just with all the excitement over the past couple of months, I mean, I, I would imagine that will be a pretty good crowd. No, I imagine it's going to be one of the most anticipated games in a while, kind of at home for JMU, and I hope it's a night game because that would just kind of add to the to the atmosphere and that would make it kind of cool. So we'll see what happens. I mean, the Sun Belt will release their schedule in March and we'll have a full picture, but we do know the first two games are at home against Middle Tennessee State and then Norfolk State. Yeah, and I think um, you hit on a little bit. Uh, people want a night game, have that kind of atmosphere where they're getting ready for it all day. Um, also, the other aspect of that, you know, they're playing a FBS team that I think people know. Um, Middle Tennessee has been a pretty decent program, um, and it's, you know, felt relatively regional. So I think they're going to uh, generate a lot of excitement about that. And they've also like said, you know, they're already getting inquiries about tickets for that one. They're getting uh, hit up for a lot more season tickets. I talked to uh, Cliff Wood from the fundraising department today, and he said their uh, number of new donors has gone up. Um, pretty significantly since November um, and the people who are calling either to increase their donations or start donating as a new donor they're all asking what does this mean for my tickets? How, how can I get better seats? Will I be able to get seats? Will I be able to get seats for the road game in Louisville? We'll drive over there. Like The, the increase in interest and in people wanting to be at Bridgeport Stadium has already been pretty tangible I think. Say so 11 game schedule uh, was something that came out of the presser as well um, I know there would been questions about you know if opponents were going to be dropped, if opponents were which opponents were going to be added, things like that. Um, was the eleven game schedule something that you guys kind of anticipated as well, or was that a shock to you guys? I mean, what, what was your reaction to that? No, I was anticipating eleven game, especially after they dropped the game with Weber State and didn't try to move that game around. And and they talked about it. Jeff Bourne talked about it actually, and how he sat down with. Chris Ignetti, and they talked about, you know, they're not eligible to play in the conference championship game or a bowl game, so there was really no point, and they kind of felt more comfortable making this transition, just taking a game off the schedule and making it 11 games, and kind of, even though you can't play in the postseason, so what's, there's really not an added bonus in playing that 12th game, and so this will help kind of them to adjust to the new level of play, because even though it's college football, and now you're taking that next step in, in kind of playing these, these FBS schools. Yeah, you know, I'm not a fan of the whole, I can't, that they're not eligible for the bowl games and all that in the first year. I mean, if they're in the conference, let's let them, you know, let's let them play. I'm sure JMU fans feel the same way about that. <laughs> yeah, and um, I guess I'm not exactly sure what the reasoning for the whole transition thing was to begin with. Right. They mentioned today that Marshall, and we're going back, um, you know, a while now from when Marshall made the move. I think that was in the 90s. They didn't have to do the transition. I think they, like, pretty much immediately had some success. 
Um, and that was when they started making it two years. Now for JMU, it's looking like it's going to only be one year uh, transition. Um, still, I, I don't entirely understand what the reasoning for it is, but that's something that's always been there, um, and it's an NCAA thing. So I think you, you put up with it for one year and uh, move yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, it's been a rough – it's going to be a rough year and a half, <laughs> yeah. two years here with, with no CAA play this year, um, postseason play, and then, you know, having to kind of wait through football next year. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing because it almost flips because the, uh, all the other teams that are not eligible for a conference tournament this year are going to be able to play in the conference tournaments in the Sun Belt next year. But um, the football team, which was eligible for the postseason or, you know, for the conference title – wasn't affected by all that they're the ones that aren't going to be able to do it and you know it might be a moot point anyway if you're looking at like you know a team that maybe goes you know four and five or whatever which is a distinct possibility when they're playing better teams but um it it is interesting i think i think uh you know because jmu can look at almost every home game as like a bonus as a a bowl atmosphere almost (laughs) to get to play these games that they haven't been able to play Maybe that makes it easier to do for one year. But yeah, I mean, six home games on an eleven-game schedule. That's yeah. certainly seems like it worked out pretty favorable for them. I mean, all all things considered, it's not like you're waiting from you're waiting three months to get to go to like that Bahamas Bowl and make your trip and everything. They're going to have exciting moments along the way, so I think that probably eases the uh, eases it. And, you know, eventually they're going to be craving those bowl games and the opportunities that uh, come with FBS, but. For the first year, I think it'll probably be fine. Yeah, and uh, one thing to note is, you know, although they are moving up to the FBS level, uh, one FCS game per year is still the plan for for JMU moving forward. Is that is that still the case? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. That they just want to. I mean, most FBS teams play in FCS schools, so it sounds like they're gonna. That's what they're gonna keep on the schedule. So they kept Norfolk State, and then they said they're gonna kind of reevaluate the schedules moving forward. They do already have some games kind of locked in. For years down the road, some with some Power Five schools, some with some FCS schools, and they kind of said they're going to reevaluate those year by year and try to see which one makes sense and which one they should probably take off and find someone else. Yeah, Shane mentioned I know the other day on Twitter that it's possible that some things could change uh, with with some of these you know bigger programs like Virginia Tech. Uh, the, the matchup with them with the payout, I believe, um, is that something that could still be the case now with their change to the FBS level? Yeah, I believe, and I'd have to go back and look at the. Uh contract again but i'm pretty sure that there was a clause in at least that one maybe some of the other ones that if they moved up to the fbs and the payout was going to be i guess it's more on par with what you would pay a sunbelt or you know conference usa caliber team rather than a caa team uh which makes some sense it just goes to show that um this thought has been in in the minds of jmu's administration for a while um you know i think you can even go back and look i believe uh, Virginia Tech had more or less said they didn't want to play an FCS JMU squad, and then they put this game on the schedule for years down the line. They put in that kind of clause, like it just all goes to show that this has been something that <laughs> behind they, closed they, doors a little like, bit. <laughs> been, you know, pretty sure it was going to happen at some point. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, one thing to note is uh, some of the the non revenue uh, sports, you know, uh, lacrosse, field hockey, swimming and diving. Um, there's been some question marks about what what would happen with them with the move to the Sun Belt. Um, you know, what's the latest? What are you guys hearing about that? Yeah, I, I kind of asked Jeff after the press conference was over and kind of what the situation looked like. He said one of them is close and as close as being announced within the next week or so. The other two, they're kind of working on. They don't expect 
these teams end up in the same conference, so there's going to be like what's like an affiliate member, kind of you're just there for that sport. And so he said that's been kind of give and take in trying to find the right conference. They kind of have pitched what they have, and their competitive programs even lacrosse winning national championship a few years ago. So these aren't bad programs. What you're trying to stress to these pro to these conferences because you don't want a conference to take a team that's going to finish in last. So definitely not a hard sell. It's just the fact of can these conferences like approve and vote with their their presidents and athletic directors. Yeah, I did find it interesting. I talked to Jeff a little bit um, after Noah got done asking about that, and he, he sort of hinted, I, I felt fairly strongly, he hinted that there's a good chance they're going to end up in the same conference as Old Dominion for a variety of sports, um, which makes some sense. Old Dominion and Liberty both play in the Big East for field hockey, and ODU's in the American for uh, lacrosse. Um, so that makes some sense. It seems like there've been there's definitely been dialogue with ODU and ODU dialogue within their conferences that they're affiliate members of to try to make that happen. Yeah, the the dynamic between ODU and JMU um, it's something that's been interesting because you know I think back in the day that was there was obviously a huge rivalry and um, just kind of see that coming back. It's been kind of kind of cool to see that relationship forming again. I mean, um, how much excitement is there around just? that rivalry in general, not only in football, but in all sports. I mean, I know you've mentioned it with, with women's basketball, but just across all the sports, I mean, how big of a deal is that going to become again in the upcoming years? Yeah, I think it's you know definitely a case where the administrations of both schools realize that they need each other to have rivalries because ODU did not have like any real natural <laughs> rivals in Conference USA. JMU did not really have them anymore in the CAA after schools like ODU left. Um but yeah, it's going to be a huge football game every year. I, I think there's a decent chance that's going to be you know one of those Thanksgiving weekend rivalry type games. Um, women's basketball teams have like a great history. Uh, the men's basketball teams have continued to play, and there's been some good games. Um, it's been a fun you know rivalry. As much as that rivalry can exist out of conference, you know, playing in November every year. Um, field hockey is the same. It's similar to women's basketball, where those are national powers with history that have, you know, competing against each other, not only for conference championships, but for, like, national tournament, national championships. Um, so just bringing back all those sports and having that regional rival, um, having, you know, people who work in an office building in <laughs> Richmond or wherever, and, like, you know, I don't think many JMU alums are going into work and talking to people about Northeastern game the other day, right, like, right, Drexel. You know, but, but, you know, there'll be some, there'll be some, uh, you know, healthy fun back and forth between, you know, in-state schools and you know alumni who you know live in the same neighborhood and work together and stuff. It'll, it'll be a completely different dynamic for both of those schools, and I think, I think they definitely realized that, and that was you know a big driving factor. And like, let's get into a league together because we can help each other out, and we'll hate each other later. But like right now, let's. Uh, Let's work together on this. Right, right. Uh, well, last thing I'll, I'll touch on with the, with the Sun Belt and JMU, um, just for for folks who have been following along. I mean, what's what's next? Is it as simple as we're just waiting on the schedule now? I mean, obviously, I know there there are still some dominoes. If you can kind of explain, uh, you know, what's next for JMU fans in terms of what are they waiting for to happen next? Whether it's with their own team or, or with another team in the conference or from from another conference or whatever whatever you can you can kind of elaborate on there. I mean, I think we'll have a lot of clarity on that because uh, Keith Gill, the Sunbelt Commissioner, was there today, and he said they're, they're dropping their schedule March 1st. So that, that it's a month from today, or a month from yesterday, today's the 2nd. But, I mean, they're still waiting on those three schools to come over, uh, including ODU. And so, I mean, that's kind of some 
things they're trying to work through and getting them over to the Sun Belt for next year, which they're not really required to come until 2023, is what Keith Kill really tried to stress there. But he's like, if they can make the move early, then that'd be great. But, I mean, we should have clarity within the next month on that, especially with the schedule dropping on March 1st. That will pretty much guarantee one way or another. Like, they're ready to move along if ODU and company can't make the move this year, but they're also going to welcome it if they can't. Yeah, I would say JMU playing in the Sun Belt without those three is definitely a plan B, if not plan C or D at this point. Um, th- those schools, I've heard it's you know probably about a 95% chance that they're um, going to wind up playing in the Sun Belt next year. There's just a lot of legal hurdles. And I think, uh, I think he also, like, uh, Keith Gill seemed to be very careful about what he said. <laughs> with regard to those schools today just because you know I don't think he wants to get accused of any kind of tampering or anything going on until that's all resolved but I mean I've also like heard from you know sources within the ODU athletic department that you know their internal you know documents that go around with their football schedule have a game of JMU on it like they're they're ready for the move and I think if uh, if it doesn't happen that'll be more of a surprise than if it if it does uh, also today, uh, National Signing Day. Um, you know, I know it's not nearly as big of a deal as it um, as it used to be at this time of the year. We're now with Early Signing Day back in December, but um, there was one more um, National Letter of Intent that rolled in today for JMU. Um, a twenty-five person class with seventeen freshmen and eight transfers. Um, some preferred walk-on offers. I know you guys talked about. Um, you know. Just kind of breaking down the class, it seems like, you know, we've talked about it before, the transfer portal was uh, was Kurt Signetti's best friend this year. Yeah, it really was. They got eight transfers, including Todd Centeno, a quarterback that's probably going to be the favorite to win the starting job. But today they added Chauncey Logan, a defensive back from Salem, Virginia, and he kind of round out the class. Kind of an interesting thing was he committed to JMU in July and didn't sign in the early period. So that raised a lot of questions for people, like, why didn't he sign? He was one of the early commits for JMU. And it turns out, he said today, was he had some bigger schools kind of come in some schools that he said that other people look at as a better opportunity than JMU but he at the end of the day weighed the options and, and made a decision to to keep his commitment to JMU and Kurt Signetti really I, today he said he really wasn't worried too much about um about Logan not signing with JMU um, even though he didn't sign in December but now the class is pretty much rounded out we could see a few more transfers um before next fall I think we will especially after spring ball is over with guys leaving and coming, more probably coming um, than anything. But that is definitely the case. So I don't think Kurt Cicnetti's done quite yet with the transfer portal. I think we'll see it flare up a little bit after spring football is over. Is there any freshman at this point that you believe, Noah, that you've heard or, or that kind of stand out to you that you know might be able to come into spring ball or if they're not coming in early, obviously coming in the fall and, and make an impact or – um, is there any, anybody that kind of stands out? Um, obviously, I know they just got a recent commit um, just the other day that, that you and I were texting about um, that, that that was a big-time player at the high school level. But, you know, is there any names that have stood out to you so far? I mean, they got two walk-ons in the last two days that both were are high-level guys. You got uh, Jacob Thomas from Stonebridge, who was the Virginia Offensive Player of the Year. He pretty much a Swiss Army knife, plays like almost every position on the field. Then last night they added a quarterback from Green Run High School who had over 3,000 passing yards and 50 touchdowns. Both of those are guys who are preferred walk-on, so we'll see them try to work their way up the depth chart. But a freshman I can see coming in and kind of making impact right away. Alonzo Barnett, he's going to be the guy to watch, a freshman quarterback kind of competing with um, Billy Atkins for that backup job. I mean, Todd Santeo is a guy that looks like he'll be the starter, but at the same time 
Kurt Signetti said he's not making any promises to anybody. So those are the three quarterbacks that really are going to be um, kind of competing for the job. So Alonzo Barnett, the guy, freshman quarterback, he, he could at least make a run for the for the backup job for sure. It sounds like Kurt Signetti, uh, just listening to him at the presser and, and some other comments he's made before this as well, but it sounds like he expects this move to – um, significantly help uh, JMU in the recruiting area. I know he, he made a comment today about it, and uh, just I'm, I'm assuming, are, are you guys expecting that as well, just kind of a boost? I mean, I know we're seeing, it's a weird time because you're seeing JMU move up, and then obviously at Virginia Tech and UVA, they're, they're trying to make more of a focus um, you know, on recruiting Virginia. Are you guys expecting that in, in the future? Yeah, I think they're definitely seeing um, an increase in, like, they're, they're, they're getting listened to by a new level of player, like the players who consider themselves FBS or you know borderline group of five or power five type of players, they're they're getting in the door with them. But one thing that's really jumped out to me, and no mentioned you know a couple of preferred walk-ons is they're getting these walk-ons who have multiple FCS, sometimes group of five offers. These are guys who would have been on scholarship at JMU a couple of years ago, and one of sixty-five scholarships, sixty-three scholarships at JMU a couple of years ago. Now, they've got 85 scholarships to work with, but they're going to have maybe, you know, like 90, 95 scholarship caliber players because these guys are willing to come in as preferred walk-ons, which, you know, is really going to boost the depth here, making a transition, which that has always been a huge issue for teams making that FCS to FBS transition is, are we going to have enough scholarship players? Are they going to be any good? Are we filling out our scholarships with guys who can't really play at this level? That does not seem to be the case right now. You're looking at you know a ton of depth even beyond the 85 scholarships. Absolutely. Well, we've talked a lot of football already today, and we've talked a lot of football over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on, uh, I just tweeted about it about 30 minutes before we came on, is uh, the the silliness that has chased the lauder of Jamie Baseball, um, who who has filled up my inbox in the past week with preseason All American honors. Um, filled up my inbox throughout the fall with um, you know top ten projections on almost every MLB draft board. Um, arguably the best player that we've seen at JMU and maybe program history, but definitely in a very long time. One of the best players we've seen in the CAA in quite some time. Um, I could go on and on, but uh, he um, was named a first team selection was the only Jamie player on the fr- on the CAA uh, team that should be noted as well but um, was on the first team but was not named the preseason player of the year um, I'm sorry I don't have the names with me right now but there are two other players that are in co-player of the year um, for the preseason honors but Chase DeLauder was not it um, there, there, there are some great players in the CAA right now and and this is no slight to them but I I just find it Amazing that Chase DeLauder couldn't wasn't even not only wasn't the top player but he wasn't even the a top two player in the league this year. Um, what are your what are your guys' thoughts on that? I mean, but Chase DeLauder being probably the only guy in the CAA that's going to be a first round pick this year. I mean, you can't even though people that vote for this may be upset that JMU is going to the Sun Belt and kind of leaving the CAA. I mean, you can't you can't slight a kid who is literally maybe a top three college bat overall. He's going to be a top ten pick. And, I mean, you're going to see teams pitch around him in conference play, but he's not the conference player of the year. So, I mean, why why pitch around him, right? So if really, the question is, why are these teams really that 
salty that JMU is leaving and why are they being kind of petty and, and silly and kind of just leaving a player off? They, they had to vote him on to the first team. If you left him off the first team, then there's a lot of question marks. So they at least put him on the first team, but Jamie did get a few honorable mentions, but I think like Justin Showalter, a pitcher who came back for his graduate year, he's probably a guy who should have been on the first team and a few other guys really have an opportunity. So maybe we'll see it at the end of the season, see him maybe get play of the year after he probably hits six, seven, eight home runs and puts up a close to 400 batting average but we'll see but i mean definitely not a good not good not a good thing from the caa and this isn't you know this isn't new to jmu necessarily or even to the caa i mean this stuff happens in 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 sports especially you know as you know as a a guy who regularly covers prep sports at the high school level for us here i mean yeah i see it with high school coaches but I mean, Shane, you mentioned earlier talking in the office, this stuff happens over the years, doesn't it? Yeah, and you can go back to when JMU started to get very annoyed with being in the CAA, and these kind of things um, have always kind of fueled that. It's one of those things where, like, oh, it doesn't really matter at all who who wins these, like, awards that are, you know, relatively meaningless, but at the same time, people get extremely offended by that. You you could go back to... um, a couple of years ago in women's basketball when Kamaya Smalls didn't win uh, the <laughs> conference player of the year. And I, I, I walked into the convocation center basically to go work on the story about her being player of the year and then get there to find out that she didn't. And it's one of the most angry group of people I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. People, you know, her teammates, you know, throwing things against the walls and stomping around and uh, wanting, wanting, seeking me out to go on the record about how terrible it was and, you know, these are kind of things that have kind of been building for a while as, you know, JMU gets um, upset with, you know, their their peers in the CAA. Uh, it, it, it wasn't a catalyst for the move, but it was one of those things that, you know, kind of helped to simmer the pot a little bit. Like, the, these, this is not the first time uh, there's been the feeling of a snub uh, when it comes to JMU. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it... it it shocked me. Uh, you know, I got into the office a little late today, and you guys broke the news to me. And I, obviously, as you guys can see, I can't, still can't believe it. Um, but it, it does sound like uh, you know there's there's some good things on the horizons potentially for uh, for JMB baseball. I know uh, earlier this week you guys spoke with uh, Coach Eikenberry. Um, it, you know, he's there was a lot of questions last year surrounding his job security and what was going to happen with him. They opted to to bring him back and. Um, I know that they've got a talented roster. You mentioned Justin Showalter, a Turner Ashby graduate, who he's slowly been getting better and better each year. And I know that he's probably expecting a big year. Chase Delauder, obviously. Um, you know Bryce Suters and Ryan Cook, uh, a, a pair of um, you know local products as well. True freshmen that are that are on the roster. Those are just some local names that that kind of stand out. But a talented roster this year. Um, you know what are kind of the expectations around that team this year? What's you know what's the outlook for them? Yeah, I mean, as Ike said a couple of days ago, he said the expectations win every game. Obviously, they open up at number 11, Florida State, so probably not get, not going to happen. But, I mean, this is a team that's got depth. They've got a lot of depth, and really in pitching, too, and he kind of is going to change the way they approach that. But, I mean, they've got depth in the outfield, a very old, experienced outfield. Really, the only spot on the field where they, they have a question mark is third base, but he said he's going to try to work through that and kind of get that question mark resolved before they play Florida State in a few weeks. But I will say that, Jamie Baseball picked to finish fifth. They could over outperform that just with Chase alone, maybe kind of propelling the offense, but definitely a very deep team this year and something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got for today. A, a busy day, like I said, National uh, Signing Day. Um, 
a semi-national signing day after after the early one in December. And then, uh, obviously, the big news was coming out of the joint presser today um, with the Sun Belt. So uh, another busy week with JMU Sports. Uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully, with some, some hoops talk and some breakdown of um, how they're doing. Obviously, they're coming off a rough weekend this past weekend, but uh, we'll see if they get turn- things turned around this week. So uh, for Noah Fleischman and Shane Metlin, I am Cody Elliott, and that's it.